Dotnet Rocks episode 726 with guests Aaron Parecki and Amber Case. Recorded live Friday, November 11th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. This is the last show that we recorded at Ordev in Malmo, Sweden last November. Um, before we get to that, we got some stuff to give away. A Telerik Ultimate Collection to Joel Barsati. Congratulations, Joel. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, you can win lots of stuff. Every show we give away a Telerik Ultimate Collection. We give away lots of other things. And next December, we're giving away a huge computer or some laptop or some surface or, or something, but it's going to be five grand worth of technology. If you want to get in on the action, just go to .netrocks.com and click on the Get Free Stuff graphic or go to .netrocks.com slash fanpage.aspx. Congratulations, Joel. And also, I need to tell you that Pluralsight.com is offering a free trial access to their vast library of over 200 hardcore developer training courses, and you get 200 free minutes for 10 days just for checking it out. Uh, they offer a wide variety of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Pluralsight.com. All right, now let's get to the interviews. Hi, this is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. We're doing .NET Rocks live at Ordev 2011 in the hall, at the end of the hall, under the Ordev sign. We're here with Aaron Parecki. Hi, Aaron. Hi. Uh, tell us what you're talking about here. I am talking about uh, what it takes to take an idea from side project to startup. From side project to startup. And Not you you have a specific example? I do have a specific, specific example. Um, I'm building GeoLoki with Amber Case. This is a geolocation platform for building, quickly building mobile apps that take advantage of location. Interesting. Okay. So this was once a side project. Started out as a side project. Crazy idea that um, that I was tracking my own movements around the city every five seconds for about a year and a half. And as we started talking about it with people, we realized that other people were actually excited about this idea as well. And uh, Because they could sell things to you? or <laughs> <laughs> what, what was exciting about it? It's, um, it's, it's a really, well, the, the idea is that you can be pushed content instead of having to go and query for it. Okay. So instead of having to pull out my phone and, you know, hold up the phone and look around and see what's nearby, yeah. um, you should just, your phone should just tell you where all these things are yeah. uh, and things that you're interested in. So, you know, ideally if I'm, if it's around lunchtime and I'm like, you know, walking through the city and. My phone knows that I like eating at Thai restaurants. I should get a notification that there's a Thai restaurant around the block because I can't see it, but my phone knows it. That yeah. would be ideal. Phone knows yeah, where sure. you are. Phone, phone knows, knows what where your preferences are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Knows where I am, knows what time it is, knows what my preferences are. Mm-hmm. It should be able to... to, to now, wh- what's the point at which it crosses from being helpful to being annoying? Yeah, well, that's always the danger. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's definitely the danger is 
yeah. spamming you with all these irrelevant right. applications. And that's the challenge of it. Sure. So you, would you tell it, okay, I've already eaten. I don't need to see any more restaurant notifications for a few hours? Or? Well, it should know if you uh, were previously at a restaurant because, again, it knows where you are. That's true. You don't even have to tell it. You're, right. you're at the restaurant for a half and that's, hour. That's really Chances the, key, are the key thing here is yeah. that these, these things that we're carrying around are super powerful. You know, these phones are, they have amazing processors, amazing screens, amazing sensors, mm -hmm. and very little is actually being done with that, and it's mm -hmm. not being taken advantage of yet. So I think you know, there's a lot of room for, for really exploring um, new possibilities and making this phone work for you instead of having you... Although GPS does break down the moment you go in the building. GPS does, yeah. but then you, there's other methods. I mean, you know, right. most places have Wi-Fi, and if you're if you're really strong next to this one Wi-Fi hotspot, you're probably in that building. Right. And uh, you know, the iPod Touch doesn't even have a GPS chip, mm -hmm. and it can still pin you down really accurately. Just because it's just got the Wi-Fi Wi node. Yeah. So uh, let's get back to the whole startup idea. Uh, so, so I take it you're teaching this from experience of what you went through with this teaching. application. I was just sharing my experience. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, started. Um, we started we started talking about this idea and getting interest and gauging interest and you know getting beta users and before we even considered doing it as a startup and it wasn't until the idea was pretty much forced on us that oh yeah this is actually a startup now and then we decided to, to quit and go for it now i mean we're also in a culture these days where a lot of side projects just become open source like what tempted you to productize is trying to make money from it rather than just give it away well there's 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 two things about that. We, we started as open source, and a lot of the things we do are open source. Okay. So we built a game called Map Attack, and that's an entirely open source game. And the premise of the game is you split up into teams and run around the city capturing virtual coins um, on the map that you can only see on the map. You're playing Pac-Man Pac in a game. Yep. In, in, in a city. In, in a city, in real life. So as I yeah. move down the street, I'm collecting coins. Exactly. That's pretty cool. That's it's a lot of fun. Actually. And this we built as an open source game. Um, the The... The part about it that's really hard to deal with is what the platform takes care of, which is dealing with massive amounts of location data coming in from all these phones in the field, doing the geofencing, figuring out when people are inside these circles and when they leave them, whether yeah. to run triggers or not. And, and that's the part that's um, difficult to build, difficult to maintain, mm -hmm. and that's what the service is. That's what we're, um, that's what we're selling as a mm -hmm. service, basically. I see. And is this, is it, is this service a, a cloud service? Yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 Building it as a cloud service, um, geofencing in the cloud. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you've decided that you've got a product here. You want to, you know, the big, the big step here for everyone is quitting my day job. Like, right. What got you believing you quit your day job? The, the reason was um, we had been getting, we've been getting a lot of press about the idea. Mm -hmm. We had a sign up form. We had. We, we were attending hackathons, speaking at conferences, getting a lot of attention about it, and people were getting really excited about it. And at one point, we said, "Okay, yeah, you know, there's enough momentum behind it that it's probably pretty safe." And we probably waited too long, really, mm -hmm. for quitting because you know we don't like to take risks. You know, right. it's scary to to leave a stable thing. I like, I like thing eating. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. Food is sure. good. And just Food. because you you believed you could go somewhere doesn't mean it necessarily had any income at this point. You right. weren't selling oh, anything. Yeah. Totally, absolutely. And uh, at the point that we, we quit, you know, we had just enough to last a couple of months that we thought it would take to raise funding. Right. And then, of course, it takes a little bit longer. Everything takes longer. And then, uh, yeah, so it's always, it's always a struggle. But, um, the, but, you know, 
there's, there's free food in a lot of places as well, like hackathons. Right. And this is, this is one of the ways that we actually were paying for the things that we needed to pay for before we had funding, was with attending hackathons and winning a couple thousand dollars here and there, just enough to you know, buy stickers or cover the server bill or get the plane ticket back to Portland, right? So what state is the project in now? So now, we're, um, now we have an app in the store, iPhone and Android, and the SDKs are um, almost ready to, to publish. We have an API that's totally available and publicly mm -hmm. available documentation on the API. The API handles all of the, the, the server-side component of it. Um, mm -hmm. we, yeah, we have a developer site up, and we're working on um, you know, getting the first clients to, to use the system as well. We have, a, we, have some, we have some people using it for personnel tracking. We have um, some other startups that are using it to speed up their development. So, and where did the, where did the funding come from? Where did, how did that piece fall into place? That's an interesting story. Um, you know, we assumed, being from Portland, that uh, no, there was no way we could get funding in Portland because it's very rare that anybody actually gets, you know, raises money there. Sure. Um, so we went down to California and spent a month down there, meeting people, talking to people, figuring out what it's like to have a startup in San Francisco, and uh, ended up coming back to Portland um, to speak on a panel at uh, an event at Intel. And at that event were a lot of investors in Portland, I see. which is where we met them. And within three weeks, we had actually closed a deal oh. in Portland. And so after being sure you couldn't raise money in Portland, you go to the Silicon Valley where everybody can raise money mm -hmm. and end up going back home and raising money there. Exactly. That's and hilarious. that was so much better because we like Portland. You want to stay in Portland. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't even want to get to the dollar and cents of this, but it still, you know, how do you convince people this is your only startup? You know, that's, that's fairly challenging speaking to an investor, you know. It, it is. This has got to be a lot about his belief in your ability to execute. That's almost entirely what it is when you're, when you're raising money at that level before, mm -hmm. um, before having a positive cash flow or right. any cash flow, you know. It's entirely based on confidence in the team. Yeah. And um, we, by that point, had done enough things where, you know, I mean, Amber's speaking at a lot of conferences. I was speaking at a lot of conferences. Mm -hmm. And... That alone is like a vote of confidence, right? Because you know mm -hmm. someone invites you to a conference, mm -hmm. right? It's it's a vote. It's it's better than not having that. <laughs> so, uh, so anything you can get, any outside validation you can get is is absolutely valuable, right? You know, any right. any time anybody in the press mentions you, and then you 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 hold those up as look, you know, other people think we can do this. You should too, right? right. But right. you sure. are giving up a portion of your company. I yeah. Mean, yeah. What's a what is the role of the investor in your company at this point? Um, we were, uh, we're we're very lucky to have investors that are really willing to help and work with us mm -hmm. on this and help develop it. Mm -hmm. So you know they're giving us a lot of advice, a lot of mentoring on what it takes to actually build a business. And, Would you call and these run. angel investors at this yeah. point? Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah, so angel they... investment. Um, we don't have a Series A round. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. angel investment where they're very uh, interested in in helping build this thing. And they yeah. do bring some knowledge to the table. Absolutely. And it's not worth getting investment from somebody who won't. Right. I mean, what about the friends and family? You know, Uncle Bob's got $50,000 he's willing to put in because, you know, you're a good nephew. It's an easy way to get disowned, if you ask me. Uh, I, w I know nothing about that. I unfortunately don't come from a family that has extra cash lying around. Okay. Um, so that wasn't really an option. But I think unless you have done it before, you're going to need a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's best to get money from somebody who can help. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. 
Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. We don't really talk about investment that much on the show, but an angel investor is someone who's looking for less of a return or no return. Isn't that right? Yeah, that's generally the expectation is that yeah. they, they expect that they may get 2x back yeah. or none, and then in the end they end up slightly positive, right. whereas a VC expects you know, 10 times or 100 right. times back. Right. But it, um, VCs a much later stage investor. A much later stage. Yeah. I mean, it's not that angel investors don't want to make money on it. It's that they tend to be investing their own money rather than mm-hmm. be a right. fund. Yeah. And they do come with a fair bit of expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they, they, you know, they're they're smart about things. Like, they, they, they're. They I think with, it's a very personal investment at that point. Mm-hmm. It, you believe it, it in is. them, and they believe in you. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And you have to believe in them because you're going to talk to them a lot. And a lot. You're going to get their help, and right. you better like them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, and it, what was the and it was this an Intel event in Portland. Actually, getting access to those people is the interesting thing because you know they're out there. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's always them. the hard part. It, it is about finding them, and mm. um, you know we we didn't really know what to expect before um, going down to the valley, and it wasn't until we essentially threatened to leave Portland. Right? It's like, hey, you know, we're we're going down to the valley. We're we don't think Portland has it. Right. Yeah. And we came back, and and you know everybody is. Well, and you know, speaking at a on a panel is a great way to meet everybody in the room as well. So right. yeah, that helps a ton. So I mean, I, I hear this over and over again from you, essentially, which is this: you've got to participate in the community. Pretty much, yeah. The speaking at conferences, the sitting on panels, and that's something getting that, involved that, in those things. That's something that Amber's helped me with a ton because you know I I've always been um, on the technical side of things and mm-hmm. very much building things and never talking about them mm-hmm. and and. And she's like, no, you have to talk about them. You have to go and yeah. share this with people because it's interesting and people need to know about it. And so that's what she's helped me. And wasn't there a moment there where you thought, you know, I can do this in the evenings and still keep the day job, just keep hammering away well, at that's night? How, that's how we started it. I mean, we we went for almost a whole year doing it just in the evenings, just on weekends. Mm-hmm. But it was every evening and every weekend um, yeah. doing as much as we could in that little, limited amount of time and and finding people who wanted to you know help out a little bit here and there. And that's, it's really hard because there's only so much time. But yeah. what about part-timing? Like work three days a week at the other job just to give you more time for your side project. Sure, if you can pull that off, yeah. Find a way. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good idea to do, to do that, at least initially, because it's, it's less risky. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, if you can show that your idea has traction and has merit uh, while working at another job, you know, then it's safer to quit because you're more likely to succeed as opposed to just saying, oh, yeah, I've got this great idea. I'm going to quit and then see if it works. So, so uh, what, what, uh, what's your download numbers like for the App Store? We have a good number of app downloads. Um, 
they coincide with articles that come out. Okay. So the biggest one was like a Gizmodo article where yeah. we got like all of a sudden a hundred times the number of users that we had before. Yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, definitely article downloads, article downloads, and okay. none in between. Well, not none, but yeah. back down to the normal amount in between. So it's really all about um, PR. It's all about PR. It's entirely entirely PR. You, you can't just make an app, put it in the store, and expect people to use so it. So here's some PR for you. What's the name of the app? The app is called Geoloki. Geoloki. Geolocate. G-E-O-L-O-Q-I. Oh, Geoloki. Geoloki. Sorry. And I have adorable dinosaur stickers if you would like some. Sure. <laughs> All right. Well, also part of the also part of the PR. Well, good luck, Aaron. Maybe uh, some of our listeners will go check it out and and up your yeah, up thanks. your download rate. The dinosaur. What's what's the significance? And I will wear it on my shirt. Awesome. The uh, significance is um, the day that we needed a logo happened to be the day that. Amber made a drawing of this dinosaur in Flash. It was based off of a stuffed animal that she had that was nice. wearing out. Uh, so that day we needed a logo, and there was a uh, Flash dinosaur smiling at us. And we said, hey, let's use that. Very good. Yeah. Geo Loki. Go Geo-Loki. get it. Thanks. Thank you, Aaron. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety-five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. Hey, this is Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell doing .net Rocks here at Ordev. We're sitting with Amber Case. Hi, Amber. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you for, uh, thank you for talking to us. Yeah, sure. Tell us about your fascinating background in cybernetics. Uh, sure. Um, when I was little, I guess starting when I was like three or four, my dad used to sit down and read me this book called The Evolution of Consciousness. And uh, that was my bedtime story. Lighthearted reading wow. from dad. Very lighthearted. I thought reading Lord of the Rings to my kids was intense. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to read that, too. That was great. That came later. I didn't understand irony or suspense or thrill. I could only understand these very... Logical know. concepts. So yeah. who wrote that book? Is that a Kurzweil book? It was uh, by Robert Ornstein, The Evolution of Consciousness. Huh. It had illustrations of these little uh, these little drones that would go around in your brain and kind of mess with things. Nice. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, so he said, here's a book with pictures, and it has some neuroscience. This is a good way to introduce you to the subject. Wow. So, of course, it didn't work. I didn't fall asleep. And, uh. <laughs> just, you know, stay up all night thinking, oh, right. the memories are going into my brain. And then, you know, I would... The therapy bill must have been excruciating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, the good thing was self-therapy, right? You don't need to... Um, That's true, yeah. You understand. So, nice. it started there. I was really obsessed with with the brain mm-hmm. and how the brain stored memories. Mm. And then my dad showed me, you know, DOS and things like that. He said, yeah. look, a computer and, and look, you have to defragment it. I said, yeah. wow, it's like, it's like when you go to sleep at night and you have yeah. REM sleep and I would watch the computer store the memories and compress them. And then yeah. I would go to sleep at night and think, hmm, my computer, my computer and my brain is doing the same thing. You're defragmenting. Yeah. So, um, so that kind of started it. And, uh, mm. Early on, it was just math and science, math and science, engineering. And then when I went to college, I said, there must be some way of understanding people because they're much more complex than science or technology. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said, uh, I, should, I should find a, a mathematical way to understand people. And uh, mm-hmm. I found uh, anthropology. 
And yeah. so I started taking that, all the anthropology classes I could. And at the end, there was this professor who showed up dressed head to toe in leather off a motorcycle. She shows up, takes the helmet off. It's the end of this very serious philosophy lecture. And she says, I'm going to teach you about cyborg anthropology. Wow. Cyborg anthropology. So that was it. That was a turning point. That was freshman year in college. It was the leather. Wow. What? It was all about the leather. It was about the leather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with the subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. come on, an, what an appearance. So, what, I mean, we really need to find, what is cyber, or cyborg anthropology? So, it's, a, it's kind of a way of understanding humans and technology. Mm -hmm. um, from the beginning, you know, humans and technology have co-evolved with each other over time. Sure. So, you've had these tools, and they've helped people to, you know, to kill other animals, and, you know, there's been knives and things like that. So. Mm -hmm. Ex extending your teeth, but all of it through history has been extending the physical self, right. Right. including the industrial revolution. It's been extension sure. of the physical self. And now there's this, all the new technologies extending your mental self. And it's not stable. If you look at, you know, how a, how a tool evolved over time, it looks pretty much the same. A hammer looks the same. A knife looks the same. Mm -hmm. What does a computer look like? Well, in the 1950s, it was the size of a gymnasium. Right. And now, you know, it's... <laughs> it's in your pocket. It's in your yeah. pocket. And it's, and it's evaporating. So what does that mean? And it's faster than anything else we've seen. Mm -hmm. um, so in the 40s, uh, there were anthropologists and cyberneticists, and they said, we need to study this because one day these giant machines will be a on everyone's desks in everyone's houses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every everyone thought they were crazy, but they still mm -hmm. had these little secret meetings where they talked about the future of identity yeah. and privacy and yeah. very forward thinking. Uh, in the 40s? In the 40s, yeah. yeah. Wow. So they were, they were called the Macy meetings. They're, they're yeah. just all these, illumina these luminaries in, in tech and anthropology. So uh, when I found out this subject, I said, this is nice because what an anthropologist does is they step back and they say, okay, what are we really doing? You know, mm. we, now we have these objects in our pockets that cry and we have to pick them up and then we have to plug them in at night and feed them. Yeah. We have to take care of them. And then if we keep them too long, they turn against us and they make us look dumb. You know? <laughs> my, you're describing my daughter. <laughs> yeah. So do you, Are you, you describing my daughter or my iPhone? I'm not sure which. Both, I think. <laughs> you, so we have certainly shaped, to, to take a phrase from religion, shaped technology in our image. Don't you think? I mean, there's no... There's no other image out there's there. There's no other image out there. So, yeah. I mean, it's no, it's no surprise that the computer looks like a little brain. Yeah. And it's your... Yeah. The funny thing is now, I mean, you store your memories outside of yourself. So, mm. if somebody says, hey, do you remember that time when we did this? And you'd be like, yeah, I have a picture. And then you query your external brain and yeah. then you share it with That's everybody. Right. Right. Uh, so it's, it's certainly we're thing. now storing phone numbers outside our brain. Right. Nobody knows their phone numbers anymore. It's great to get a phone call from somebody and say, what's your phone number? Again? Yeah, yeah. 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 I think, uh, you know, the first time that happened, Albert Einstein was being interviewed and, and they asked him, they're like, well, okay. I, after the interview, well, can I call you to get some more details? And he said, yeah, sure. He said, well, what's your phone number? And he said, oh, let me go find a phone book. You know? And they said, yeah. Einstein, why don't you know your phone number? And he said, well, that would be irrelevant. I don't need to store that unnecessary data in my brain. It's in the phone book. It's stored yeah. for me. You know, you can just go look at it and yeah. I don't have to do anything. And, <laughs> it was, and I really <laughs> never need to call myself either. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just look it up. Yeah, there's a phone book everywhere on every street corner. Yeah, it's why easy put, to find. Yeah. Why put it in your brain? So, yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, whatever somebody just decides to store in their brain, right? Some people are going to store all the YouTube videos about cats in their brain or all the celebrity data. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. 
And they would have done that before, right? Right. You know, if they had movies or television or newspapers or Mm -hmm. baseball statistics. So So technology really isn't so foreign. It's very human to you. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say it allows us to be more human than ever before because suddenly, you know, you go on Reddit and there's some person who says something that you've experienced for the last 20 years Mm -hmm. that you would have never thought to think about writing about. And everybody has all of their, you know, whatever they've experienced in the same way on there as well. And suddenly you feel normal yeah. <laughs> because that is something maybe you're concerned about yeah. or does, every, does anyone else do this? And it's it, this collective mm. mind. That, the great thing about the internet is no matter how odd you feel, you can go online and find someone far odder than you. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's very humanizing. <laughs> it's a great relief. <laughs> and and your, your degree is in cybernetics, is it not? It's, it's in, uh, so I got degrees in sociology and anthropology. And then I wrote my thesis on cyborg anthropology. Okay. So I went. I was wondering where do they have a degree in cyber, cyber, cyborg anthropology? Yeah, they. It's it's interesting. I didn't know they really did. So I, I yeah. did a bunch of custom classes at the end after I ran out. But class. I think right. most people associate the concept of a cyborg with actual physical integration. Integration. With technology. Yeah. They do. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and that's kind of an interesting thing because the first the first time somebody says cyborg it's terminator or robocop right which are great like i, I fully agree with this um but really i mean every, anytime you you look at your device you're inter, you're interfacing with it you're wearing a headset right now right, right. Yeah, i mean yeah. it's, the, it's the same sort of effect yeah and you're amplifying your voice through something you're holding right. right it's attached to you right now yeah but you can always detach from it you can always take it off yeah which is why i don't agree with like integrated you know, cybernetic right. implants because right. then you'd have to go to the Apple support store and get surgery. <laughs> yeah. you know, then, then you'd have to apply for the Apple support healthcare bill or something right. like that. <laughs> if I want to shut it off. Yeah. So that, that's the thing. I mean, it's more efficient to have it evolve outside of yourself and then choose the things that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are your thoughts lately? I mean, maybe the things that you're going to share with us tonight at the keynote, what are, what are you thinking about? Uh, I'm thinking about um, all of the research at, at Xerox Park in, in, you know, 30 and 40 years ago. And how it was so expensive, mm. and they really were obsessed with ubiquitous computing. They yeah. said every object will have a chip in it and be able to talk to each other, and it was very expensive to do that. And now we finally have the internet. I mean, really, what happened is the internet came in, and that allowed a place for everything to connect yeah. to each other. Right. And now we have chips that are becoming affordable enough to be we're everywhere. Headed for this internet of things. Yeah. So yeah. finally, we can do like an everyday programmer now can do the things that took millions of dollars to do at Park, yeah. mm-hmm. which is fantastic. So um, also, I probably will critique you know, visual augmented reality because it just looks dumb to hold up your phone. It should yep. be the most minimal amount of information that you need to get on with huh. your life. Well, and we're, we're all wearing uh, glasses here. Is right. that the logical place to put it? Ah, I really would like to see it. Except the problem is the first heads-up displays are going to be these like ads and banners, and, yeah. and really that that augmented reality should not detract from your life. It no, should amplify it. Should, it. Yeah, it's so, about right. augmentation. Yeah. I want more. Yeah, and uh, there was a, I'll, I'll talk about um, an MIT technologist named Steve Mann and how he came up with this thing called diminished reality where hmm. he took away from reality. He said, I don't like that sign, so he canceled it out. <laughs> and he put his own text over it. Nice. So he got text messages on billboards. That's funny. And that, uh, yeah, so a lot better than augmented reality. Well, you okay. remember the early, one of the things we were doing to battle banner ads on the internet is you'd modify your host table so all the sources of all That's of right. the ads would just fail and you'd just have a lot of failed graphics 
<laughs> that was so much nicer to look at than look at me, look at me dancing <laughs> right. idiocy. Yeah, and and those don't really work because the best advertisements are helping you to get to a decision, right, right, or helping you realize that the decision that you are about to make is safe because you have a community to support that decision. Yeah, right. Yeah. So say I'm choosing between a Nikon and a Canon, right? So I inherently like Canons more. Mm-hmm. But I knew that a bunch of people that I knew had Nikons. Right. Yeah. And I knew because when I was shopping for it online, it said, all these people that you know have Nikons. Instant support group. I'll buy the Nikon. Right? Yeah. So well, that the, the social media element tie-in to advertising is incredibly powerful because mm-hmm. it, you get that reputation-related validation of something. Yeah, well, there is such a thing as a good ad and a bad ad. And to you, I mean, to many people, there's only bad ads maybe because we've never actually experienced a good ad yeah because if it's a good ad it's not an ad right it's it's, oh thank you so much for recommending that so that i can get on with my life right i mean now it's the minute you buy a phone you wonder am i going to buy the next model of this phone yeah or what you know and what company do i go with to support that phone right and it becomes this giant decision over time right and you know even the people you interact with like if you're in a developer group you can't just get some phone outside of that group Mm -hmm. you know it's like Mm -hmm. if you write objective c but yet you want to switch over to another phone, then you don't have a test phone anymore. It gets yeah. really complicated. And there's a book called The Paradox of Choice that talked about regret being a stronger dis- driver than desire. Absolutely. And so the uncertainty around that purchase is enough to make you not make the purchase. Right. And there's this other thing where if you have more choices, then it takes much longer to make a decision. Sure. Right. So they have you know a guy driving down the street, and he you know there's there's another truck coming, and then he sees that there's another option for his escape and, and then it takes him longer and he might actually get into a car accident because right. there's two right. you know options there right. so in a way you know having the recommendation reduces mm-hmm. your options mm-hmm. in a way and it just or makes one more prominent and, mm-hmm. and so it's a relief if done well actually balance all that off yeah well that sounds great uh, thanks for talking to us Amber alright thanks thanks for listening and remember Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online. Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, Go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.